Hi there and welcome. I'm Rachel Nemeth and this is The Frontline, a series of conversations with founders, CEOs, and operators building great businesses that employ a large frontline workforce, employees who don't sit at a desk. I'm the CEO of Opus, where we believe we need to build more bold and accessible technology for frontline teams. This series is about the people who keep our businesses humming and the operators who are taking innovative steps with their frontline. You can find more episodes at thefrontline.so. In this episode, I sat down with Tom DeAri. Tom is the COO and co-founder of Rising Tide Car Wash, a multi-unit car wash operator based in Florida. The story of Rising Tide is a personal one for Tom and his family, one which they leveraged into a vision to build a business designed around a frontline workforce that employs individuals with autism. The CDC reports that there is an estimated 5.4 million adults in the U.S. with autism spectrum disorder. Among that population, there's a 90% unemployment rate. Rising Tide is addressing the root causes of that, and what they're doing to solve for it is working. They have a retention rate five times that of their competitors. In this episode, I sat down with Tom to talk about what he's doing differently with training and technology in order to maintain Rising Tide's competitive advantage. Hey, Tom. So good to see you. Thanks for joining us. Hey, Rachel. It's a pleasure for me to be here today. Really excited to be on the show. Yeah, we're going to dig in really deep. Before we get started, I just wanted to kick things off with the, the my favorite intro question, which is, uh, how would your friends describe what you do for a living? Hmm. So I think they probably start by by saying that like I scrub bugs for a living. <laughs> um, after they had a good laugh, they would probably talk a little bit more about the actual the actual company and that we you know founded the company to employ my brother Andrew, who's on the autism spectrum, and kind of taking it from there. Well, that really speaks to who you are and and how connected you are <laughs> to the frontline workforce, though bug scrubber. I've heard it all, but that is actually a first for me. So. <laughs> Um, but I'm sure you've had those days too. And, um, you know, I, for our particular audience, one that is really connected to the deskless workforce, I really want to dig in and hear, um, your thoughts specifically in the, in the, uh, car wash industry, um, but also just in general, um, what aspect of the frontline or deskless workforce, uh, what about that work do you want to debunk? What's the one thing that people don't get that you want them to understand? I think there's a misconception that uh, desk frontline employees are just looking for a paycheck. And I mean, I think it's evident now, like you're seeing companies that may not have the best employee experiences trying to throw money at uh, new, you know, trying to, you know, recruiting and it's still not really effective when, uh, I mean, it's, this is a, an interesting employment market, I think for, for all of us, but I think the leaders that have good brands and and places that people want to work are having a lot less difficulty finding staff. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I think that speaks to the fact that, I mean, since there are a lot of options out there, you can see, uh, it's not all about paycheck. It's not all about, you know, how much you're paying. I mean, obviously that's important, but what I think, at least for our team and all the people that we interview, it's about one feeling like they're growing, like, and this isn't, because most of the time, right, front frontline employees, this isn't what they envision their final stop to be on in their career path. This is generally 
a first stop or uh, um, something that they're they're thinking will lead to another role mm-hmm. and or or at least a skill set that's valuable. So so that d- development and growth path, I think, is really critical. And I don't think uh, we as a I mean, car wash industry, I think, actually isn't so bad. But uh, in general, in the service world, we don't we don't think about that enough and, and we don't build that into our operations enough. And, and that's why you see high turnover and, you know, people leaving for other things because they feel like they've just kind of tapped out, plateaued or mm-hmm. not going anywhere. Uh, so I, I think that's to me the, the number one thing that you have to kind of shift our mentality uh, around what we're, you know, what our employees, what we think our employees really want. Well, I think that's actually a good segue into, uh, I'm going to ask a half-step question and the full-step question, which is uh, when you and I first met, uh, one thing that really surprised me about um, the way that you were thinking about training and and knowing that that we we largely work with the service industry, um, you had taught me that, you know, there's a ridiculous amount of similarities between the hospitality industry and the car wash industry. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about that. We have a lot of listeners that are curious as well to understand that parody. Yeah, um, it is. So, you know, car wash industry is obviously a much smaller industry than hospitality. So we tend to find great vendors like yourself that are mainly focused on restaurants. And then I can, you know, if they're willing to listen, which you obviously are, uh, show them like, Hey, there's another market out here. That's actually, you know, we're not small. We're a $9 billion a year industry, Yeah, but it's no, nowhere the size of, you know, hospitality sector. Isn't that funny how billions of dollars is nothing anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the staffing is, I think almost identical. I mean, you have uh, a group of like essentially production oriented workforce, like, like kitchen staff. Uh, you have front of the house, you know, cu- greeting customers, get, you know, talking to customers your managers, it's almost the same, except we do main, most of our work during the day and outside. Um, and th- those are, I think, the, the differences. But as far as the, the roles go, they're remarkably similar. It's on demand. <laughs> You're moving from one thing to the next kind of fluidly. It can be very reactive. And if you're not you know, careful, you kind of can lo- it's easy to lose sight of like the larger objectives. Uh, because it's it can be so reactive, and you know I, I love hiring people from the restaurant industry uh, because they they kind of they get it uh, really well, and you know we've had uh, some, many of our team members move from us into the, the restaurant industry and in other hospitality fields. You know I think it makes there there really are we're just like the little brother when it comes to hospitality, but it's it's an interesting market because we're this industry is growing very. Uh, significantly it's also like the first time we've had like major private equity and institutional type Mm -hmm. money come into the industry yeah so you're seeing a professionalization of the industry which is wonderful probably the best thing about these larger uh, funders coming into the field is that this is becoming a much more professional industry Hmm. and a big part of that right is training yeah right you know there is no uh you know there's i don't know how many hundreds, if not thousands of culinary programs and restaurant management programs offered at universities, you know, regardless of how effective they are, they're still there. There's, there's one now offered in, in, um, at a university and it's just a certificate program. 
Uh, so, you know, there, there's no really great standardized or uh, accredited type training. And, and I mean, I don't know that we're necessarily going for accreditation, but we're certainly growing for a all, you know, a, a from start to finish professional right. management training experience. Like a, a setting a standard, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's interesting to hear you talk about this and something that you just mentioned. Uh, another kind of light bulb moment for me is you, you initially mentioned, yeah, there's a lot of parity between the roles. And I'm sitting here thinking like, how is, you know, a line cook the same as somebody who's, uh, you know, like assisting cars and correct me if I'm wrong, but I think what you're really talking about or what you were getting at was this notion of um, how needing to be agile and flex between positions is really unique to the service industry in general. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people who really like teamwork, I think really gravitate toward, towards the service industry because it is, you really are functioning as, as a team when it's, when it's going well, that's, that's how it is. Right. And uh, that's because you, you, everybody's got their position kind of comes together in what can be a really beautiful experience. But in order to really do that effectively, like you're saying, everybody has to be cross-trained. You have to be able to plug people in you know, to different roles as, as the kind of the situation warrants it. Uh, you have to be able to constantly build bench depth because like we do, we, we have people moving in and out of this industry yeah. and, all, and all the service industries fairly rapidly. So, you know, I, I don't know to me, you know, I came from, you know, team sports when I was in, in high school and in college. So I love, I love that. And some people love that. Uh, but it all comes down to that practice, right? You have to be able to, to learn these skills effectively to do it well. And you have to be able to do it fast because, you know, the, the return on that training needs to, the person needs to stay long enough for you to realize it. So, you know, being able to effectively from day one, start to train people up and do it in a way where it's not overly burdensome to the managers who have like have a bunch of different responsibilities to begin with is I think critical to the viability and scalability of, of, of service companies like ourselves. Before we dig into the specifics of what you're doing at Rising Tide that's different in order to engage and train your team, can you talk a little bit about your workforce? You have a very yeah. unique um, group of individuals that you employ. Yeah. So uh, essentially, my, my brother Andrew has autism, and that's why we founded the business uh, with the goal right away. My father and I had the goal of our workforce being 80% individuals with autism. So that, you know, that the reason for that goal was we wanted to build an organization that really empowered people with autism and having such a high percentage of team members with autism means you have to really build around them because you can't obviously marginalize 80% of your staff or Mm -hmm. hide 80% of your staff right there front and center in everything that we do. So it, it made us kind of really shape the organization to, to empower them. And the way that we look at our employees with autism and the way that we talk to other employers uh, similarly is that they're like the extreme users of organizational systems. They push them to be clear. Uh, they show you the, you know, the defects uh, because they, you know, from a communication perspective, which a lot of organizational life is fundamentally rooted in some sort of communication, it, you know, they, that's where they, they can struggle. But instead of looking at it as a, you know, something that needs to be accommodated for some sort of cost center, 
it's a really great lens to improve everything about your operations and make them make it better mm-hmm. and, and better for everybody. So, you know, our team is certainly different, <laughs> um, but, you know, they've helped us become, I think, a, a much better organization than we would be without them. And then the fact that you have these team members are loyal and really care about the work and, and, and love being a part of the organization. You know, we have, I think, probably pretty standard turnover among the 20% of our staff that's neurotypical. Mm-hmm. We have virtually no turnover among the other 80%. So it really creates a, a foundation of consistency that, uh, you know, there are so many benefits to it. I could go on, you know, for hours about it. <laughs> um, but it's really wonderful. And, and I think if you would have asked me when we first started, like, you know, what, why are you doing this? It would have been pretty narrow. And hey, you know, Andrew needs, needs to have a place to work and he needs to have mm-hmm. a community to be a part of. And, but today I know it's so, it's so much more broad than that. And, and really, I think can be potentially game changing for a lot of different industries, especially ones that struggle with finding and retaining entry level staff. Yeah. And, and you, um, I think that's, what's so interesting about your story and, and something that I think appeals to a lot of business owners is that you really start off with something very personal that keeps you up at night and it ends up being something which if you dare to dig in and dare to actually create a business around it can show returns that you might not have ever expected. Yeah. You know, we're going to be talking more and more about your front line and and some of your I guess trade secrets and the the turnover statistic is really interesting. On that same vein, I really want to talk about training. What happens at Rising yeah. Tide that's different than other and I would actually say, let's keep it within car washes. <laughs> what are you yeah. all doing differently yeah. to train people at Rising Tide? So um, I, I think there's there's probably three key components of our training program that are a little different. Uh, first, it's baked into our daily operations. So on our on our daily board, you know, with our schedule. It also, when we're planning the day, we're planning training activities for as many team members as we can. So as soon as there's downtime in operations, we're going right into training. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's it's part of our daily experience where it's not just like, okay, you know, we're going to go into a classroom at some point and teach somebody something or they're you go home and watch a couple of videos uh, or, you know, they'll get training when the manager can sit down with them and, and, and which is like never, <laughs> so, um, you know, it's, that's the first step is that like, that's how we're very invested in it. Uh, and two is that it's totally multimodal. So we have learners that, and it's interesting. I, I was talking to another, um, autism entrepreneur who has a, a software testing business, uh, that's 80% uh, team members with autism too. And we're both kind of, you know, riffing on the fact that a lot of our team members, they really learn a lot better via via text, via text communication. Hmm. Uh, the, the verbal communication is difficult for them. Uh, they, they perform at a much higher level when it's written word. And especially, you know, just like everybody else, they love their phones. They're used to text sure. messaging. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, so the text, you know, text message based training is really very well suited to them. In fact, we have um, a couple team members who, you know, kind of validating that assumption you, that, you know, essentially have, you know, they have intellectual disabilities as well. Uh, they aren't particularly verbal team members, 
and they're learning, you know, detailing skills, uh, customer service skills, safety skills through the Opus program that uh, I don't know that we would have otherwise really been able to teach them effectively. So that's that's a, a big part of it. Another big part of it is kind of interactive video. That's another mode that we use. Yeah. It, it, I think for some of the training and the more technical uh, training programs, that that is, it's good. It's, it, it's, I think, a useful tool in the toolbox. And then we really free up our managers, the way that we design the organization. So we've taken, you know, a typical car wash manager would be re- required for recruiting and hiring, uh, for uh, uh, te- maintaining the car wash system, so all the technical components and maintenance program, for making sure the customer service is good, making sure the site is clean, and for doing like a bunch of different administrative reports. Which you know, I, I think is when a service manager hears that, yeah, it sounds sounds about right. Pretty pretty broad based, lots of different things that I'm responsible for, and we've tried to really take as much of that we, we try to build a really strong support structure where we have, you know, a technical, specifically a technical team, specifically an administrative team to take a lot of that stuff off of the location manager's plates so they can focus on coaching. Right? Mm-hmm. We don't also want them to be teaching the same material over and over again in entire PowerPoint kind of deck, right? So right. that's where um, kind of automating a lot of the functional training materials through something like Opus or uh, through video training is is useful. But I would venture to say uh, at least half of the value that the team members get from a training perspective is having a manager that's engaged in coaching them. Yeah. And in order to expect your managers to coach them, they have to have the time to coach them. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, which is you know a design challenge for for organizations because it's easy for us to be like all right you go deal with all of this and now I'm going to go yeah. back to what I was doing <laughs> but that's obviously not an effective way to to meet meet our goals which are to really help our team develop and then the last part of it is that we don't stop at functional training so I think there are some car wash operations that have really good functional training on how to how to do all the production processes how to use the POS system how to open and close how to do the preventative maintenance program. And that's good. That's important. Uh, but where we continue to go through the character development, leadership development skills, and, and even if it's simple stuff like, you know, some basic emotional regulation training or uh, how to give and receive feedback, how to have a growth mindset, uh, how to have a difficult conversation you know, these are just some basic examples, but we're really um, driven to constantly build that character and leadership development side of our training program. Because what we want at the end of the day, and candidly, we're not all the way there yet, uh, but what we want is this continuous training experience mm-hmm. where someone never feels like they've stopped learning. And I think that, that that's not only central to our mission, but also helps people stay engaged with their work so it's there's you know business real business reasons for it as well yeah uh, yeah so i would say that's the answer you know and, and it's funny you just said like we're we're not there yet but when is training ever really done or when is development of training ever really done you have to yeah. consider it a work in progress at all times which might be one of the the things i think that people get frustrated by in the training world but the truth is is like 
you just have to accept that it's constantly evolving. 10 years ago, text message training wasn't a thing. And then we had to solve a problem for how we can keep, uh, you know, with a global attention span shrinking, how can you keep people engaged while they're on the job? So I love all of that. And there's so much good meaty stuff in there to to talk about. Um, You have a couple of other initiatives at Rising Tide, though, beyond just your training, too, that are helping to develop people into entrepreneurs. Is that right? Yeah. So um, like like I've I've mentioned a couple of times, the reason we started the organization was to employ people with autism. Yeah. And our, you know, our stores, it's great. We're growing the stores. I think that's still our single biggest lever for impact is to really be able to um, build uh, out a, a clear case study that, you know, this works and this organization is thriving and out competing other car washes because of its model mm-hmm. that employs people with autism. Yeah. I don't think there's anything we can do that's more effective than that. However, uh, this, you know, we have to effectively be able to share that knowledge in a way that is, uh, useful and, and, um, can actually get out to people who might emulate it. And so a big part of that, and this came mainly from like just a lot of inbound requests. So we, we, we've been lucky to get some really wonderful media attention. So for instance, we were, when we were on the nightly news, after we were on the night nightly news, I must've got 500 emails from other uh, people from, from other families, just like us that, Oh my God, like I want to do something just like that. Hmm. How do you do that type thing? And as a small business owner and an entrepreneur, not a lot of time, I can't answer all those questions in, you know, in a way that is, uh, as thoughtful as I'd like it to be. So we partnered with university of Miami to build a, an autism entrepreneurship training program, hmm. uh, which, uh, has been great. I mean, we've had, um, over, Look, seems our most current data over 130 people have been hired through organizations that have wow. uh, taken that training. So that's a, a really great lever. But I will say that you know the way that we're kind of proceeding with our training activities uh, outside of car, the, the car wash operations is we're really more focused on helping small, medium sized businesses see the value and, and how they would do it mm. how, because it's a lot harder to teach a, a family member who's never been an entrepreneur to learn to be an entrepreneur than it is to teach uh, a business owner, a, an expert in whatever, you know, field they're in to make the small tweaks that are, are beneficial for the whole team, uh, but really beneficial for people with autism uh, to make the organization ready to receive a really excellent talent pool. Hmm. So I'm, I'm actually, I'm writing a book right now with HarperCollins leadership uh, which is going to come out sometime in 2022, really kind of focus exactly on that. You're full of surprises. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're just starting to talk about it. So I think my, my editor is okay with it at this point. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. Um, can you share the title yet? Or is there no title yet? Yeah, well, current, the working title is Shine. Okay, awesome. Perfect. It makes so much yeah. sense. Yeah. You're listening to The Frontline, a podcast by Opus. 80% of U.S. workers are frontline, people who don't sit at a desk. Yet 99% of technology is built for the people who do. Opus helps employers deliver fast, interactive training to their workforce over text message. But it doesn't stop there. 
At Opus, we're on a mission to build the world's most accessible platform for frontline teams. You can learn more at opus.so. I want to keep moving into this vein of, of, and I think I was uniquely interested in your answer to this question because uh, you've really dug into to training on all levels. And I want to know as uh, someone in the tech industry who's building for businesses uh, of all shapes and sizes for the, the deskless workforce, um, what do you want to tell the ed tech industry? What are we not getting right that we should be thinking about? I think that the ed tech industry in general is, you know, most, most platforms, most training is not built for the service environment. You know, it's, it's, I think it's a lot easier to schedule training into somebody who has a more routine uh, job and isn't so on demand mm-hmm. uh, and is, is at a desk, right? I mean, that's yeah. what the whole premise of Opus is, which is why Opus is so wonderful and why we're so happy to have found you as a partner, because it's finally something that is built for our people. And we've talked about this, you know, in our, in our conference calls with, with you guys, as we, as we give you feedback on, on the program, mm-hmm. but a mobile based program uh, and a program, you know, a, a really perfect program for uh, service industry is one where I think it's totally embedded in operations. And, you know, we've, what you've built so far is really getting there. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's where, where you're headed, right. Is something where it's, it's part of the daily routine and it's, and that yeah. is um, I can't, I can't really stress enough how important it is and it's how hard it is because yeah. we've got our, our team members, you know, they all work different schedules. You know, we could, we plan on having them train at 10 o'clock. I can guarantee you we're getting a rush right then. <laughs> and and um, who's going to execute the training. Right. So, it, it's and then how do you track it like all these all these different parts that are you know i think you know some of the training platforms have probably designed this very well for a corporate setting it just doesn't exist for our our, our um, service type uh fields and but you finally there's finally some hope on the horizon rachel <laughs> and that's that's called opus <laughs> well thank you i'm glad to hear that we're we're at the very beginning of this and like the the reinvention of training i think is is going to be a it's going to be an interesting decade um there's a lot of like old behaviors and old habits yeah. and i would see say even in the service industry too um operators sort of having to work with existing platforms that weren't built for their team and saying, oh, there actually are ways that we can teach our deskless workforce now. Um, but you really have to rethink your approach yeah. in that case. You know, I think one of the, the most interesting things about the way that you're training your team is that you already naturally, like we didn't even have to say, hey, this is our approach. You had already been doing daily micro trainings with your team. And it's such a unique, uh, it's so obvious, but it's also such a unique uh, approach to training. Um, and of course, like, uh, knowledge retention wise, it makes so much sense. (laughs) Like why in the world would people do a three hour training once a week or once a month with their team? 
that is like busy and has families and lives and all these other things to think about. Um, it seems like such a no brainer, but I think that, you know, we're certainly the platform to help support you, but I think you're really leaders in thinking about uh, a different way to train your people. Cause you're the ones that are doing the work, like you're putting in the content and you're thinking all about it and executing on it. Um, so, uh, it's really, and, and I love the, and I'm, as like somebody who has worked with language her whole life, I really love that you're talking about on-demand work. I actually think that that's a um, a phrase that we don't use enough, and it and it actually brings like a new level of appreciation yeah. to yeah. front lines. I, so I have a question for you, Rachel. So the how much of, of the 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 root cause for the issues that we have with training comes from the siloing of training outside of uh, the operators that are actually running business. Meaning, so do you feel like the like HR because HR tends to be its own oh, interesting. component? Yeah, is that do you think that that plays a role or a major role in why um, you know training kind of isn't generally designed so well for the user? That is a fascinating question. So I think it's. Twofold. I think one, uh, yes, if we're not collaborating with operators and field managers, then we're not going to achieve the goals that we need to in order to, to see the outcomes we want. Um, and too often, I think the motivations are right. I think a lot of the time, um, people leaders are saying, well, we don't want our managers to be in an office doing admin work because right. that's how training is seen oftentimes. They have to write a document or what have yeah. you. Um, and that's a lot of how we have to change our way of thinking is like, in order to have good content, you need to talk to your managers and make yeah. sure that the procedures are right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, it's interesting that you say how important it is to include managers in the process. Yeah. So I, I wholeheartedly agree with that. And so what's cool about Opus, uh, is it, it really gives the nice platform that makes it easy to, to, yeah. to have a, a manager contribute to a training program. And personally, I think one of the most effective ways to build a good training is have the, the actual uh, expert in doing a certain thing be the one who, who, who can really at least outline it, right? Maybe, you know, they don't have the time to add all the fun little, you know, gifts and videos and stuff, <laughs> which make it a little bit more engaging, but the actual meat and potatoes of the content, you want to get it from them. And I think there's an another benefit for that too, which is that makes that person feel really valued. Yeah. And, and, you know, when you have, you know, somebody from corporate who's acting like they're the expert in doing something that happens on the ground that if they did it, they did it like 10 years ago. <laughs> well, and, and I, you, you, um, as a business owner, I think you can probably relate to this. A lot of what we see is that, um, and it makes sense, you know, I, I say this as a CEO, uh, business owners are very attached to their manuals because they were, they're usually the first ones to create training in a business, right. you know? Right. And so, but even if you're a five-year-old business that's grown from one to 50 units, um, it doesn't mean that what you created originally was the right thing to do. Yeah. But I, it makes me wonder if that initial um, act of, okay, the CEO made this handbook, so everything needs to come from corporate now might set that standard. Yeah. Uh, I'm sure it's, it, there's a lot of other factors to it, but, um, yeah, I, I, 
I don't think it's a big mystery as to why it's coming from corporate, but I, but I do think that there's ways that just in the tech world, we can help support to make sure that no one's, you know, spending too much time. Hell, even in the, in corporate, we don't want people to be spending a lot of time because everyone's doing more with less right now. So, um, well, that actually brings me to my next question, which is, you know, Rising Tide is a growing business. You're you're um, making a mark in the world of work right now. You're writing a book. You're 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 teaching people how to be um, how to operate businesses that employ individuals with autism. And uh, so, I think that the question I want to ask is, if you had an extra ten million of budget, no red tape, what would you spend it on right now? I would build more stores. <laughs> <laughs> I had a hunch that was the answer. <laughs> I mean, you know, like, like I said, I mean, I think that that's the, the, the real lever for our impact uh, is to show that this business model is a really good one. So the more locations we have is, I think, the biggest indicator of that yeah. success. Also, as long as we pick good locations and do a good job, that, you know, builds more profitability into the business where we can invest in more stuff like this. So yeah, yeah. My answer will always be more locations. It's a good answer. <laughs> I, uh, I can certainly relate. Um, yeah. though for us, you know, I'm sitting here on busy canal street in New York city and you're <laughs> down in Florida right now. So for us, it's, it's less about locations and it's more about screens, I suppose. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. That makes sense. Um, so Let's talk a little bit about you. I'm I'm so curious to hear uh, what or who you you credit your professional growth to. Um, you know, you didn't get here overnight, and you're operating this incredibly you know milestone setting, trend setting operation. So, who do you owe that um, growth to, and and how does that impact how you see the world of work? Yeah. So, I mean, almost singularly, I would credit my dad for that. Uh, so we founded this business together. He's our CEO. He has been an entrepreneur my whole life. So I got to kind of grow up and watch and, uh, absorb a lot of, you know, what is, what does it mean to be an entrepreneur? And, and then, you know, over the last decade that we've been working together, he's really taught me so much about how to, how to be a, a really good business person. He's cut, he's an accountant by, by background and, you know, he looks at these these businesses uh, much differently than an operator does, and that perspective is is awesome. And then you layer the fact that he was also an operator. You know, he, I couldn't have a better teacher. Hmm. So my growth and where I am today is totally um, his doing. <laughs> um, it's also um, helped me kind of, I think, learn how to. Um, depersonalize some of the business like um like i said like tried to describe with with him he, he looks at a lot of things as a, he's able, really good at looking at things as a big picture mm. and that uh I, I was as an operator i can get mired in the details uh really quick and i like i like operating so like i like the little details and i, I like fixing things and working on solutions but you know to be able to detach yourself from like, this is my emotional, what I want to do versus, Hey, this is what you really should be focusing your energy on because this is what will have the most results for the business. You know, it takes somebody nudging you, uh, to, to do that. At least for, for me, it's definitely taken. If, if I didn't have him to, you know, check me there, I don't think, I, I think I would get way too bogged down and, uh, mm. um, 
you know, the daily, you know, nitty gritty and never really level myself up. He's made, he's helped us make some, you know, just key decisions to like add staff in certain places that have made it. So I can, I can think about these bigger pictures, things I can write a book like otherwise I would not be doing those things. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and the, it really like, brings to light. I knew you were a family business, but like just hearing you talk about this, I'm like, right. This is a legit family yeah. business that we're yeah. running right now. Yeah. I my love brother's it. here. My mom's here too. <laughs> like it is, we are all working together. Um, pro, there are pros and cons to that. That's a whole uh, different podcast, but <laughs> that would be a different one. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, I want to finish up today. Uh, with a rapid fire, uh, five questions I'm going to toss at you and, and tell me the, the first thing that comes to mind. Uh, favorite book. Power of Moments, Chip Heath. Guilty pleasure song. Hmm. I don't know. Guilty. Um, I've been jamming to uh, Tiesto red lights a lot recently. <laughs> <laughs> favorite breakfast spot. Oh, uh, so there's this, uh, this little, um, juice and smoothie spot called JB and C's cafe, right, right by where I live, which I, I love to go to. Awesome. Uh, a woman you admire. Well, that will be my fiance, Megan. She's, we're actually getting married in two weeks. <laughs> Amazing. Congratulations. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, and favorite class you ever took. Hmm. I don't know why this is coming to mind right now, but, um, environmental history. Uh, I really just, it was so different for me to take that because I, I had a business degree. But it was really cool. I'm a big like outdoors nature person, so to learn about how like the our our, our U.S. environment has been shaped through like industrialization, I thought, thought was like wildly interesting. Huh? <laughs> this is why we do rapid fire to yeah. see what's on the surface. So. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, yeah. Sorry if I thought more about that when I give you a different answer. But <laughs> yeah, am I going to get an email at, at <laughs> in the morning? You're like, can I change my answers? Um, this was great, Tom. There's so much more we can talk about. I feel like you and I are kindred spirits when it comes yeah. to, to thinking about work and technology and and the way that that um, training is going. So thank you so much for sharing your, your brain and your time with us. I'm, and because we're on a podcast, I just have to tell everyone, um, Tom is currently in his office, uh, in sunny Florida with a rising tide shirt on. And while we've been talking, he, I know that you're still <laughs> operating because I've seen <laughs> the little, like the head turn and the nod. Yeah, looking at somebody. my cameras, sending text <laughs> messages. Yep. <laughs> Uh, there's literally no better recording of a podcast than to be right smack dab in the middle of your day. But I definitely <laughs> recognized I just took up your day. So no, that's all good. It was, this is a pleasure, Rachel. I'm really happy to be on the show. Well, thank you so much. And best of luck to you. Um, if you haven't checked it out uh, yet, uh, go ahead to risingtidecarwash.com, right? You got it. Yep. Um, and read a little bit more about the work that, uh, Tom and his family and his crew are doing to change the world of work. Uh, and be sure to check out in 2022, Tom's book shine, which, uh, working title, I suppose. Yeah. So we yeah. might have we'll, to we'll talk more about it when it gets this. closer. <laughs> <laughs> we might have to re-record this. Uh, <laughs> fine. Um, great. Thank you so much. Awesome. Rachel, this is a pleasure. I'm Rachel Nemeth. Thanks for listening to The Frontline, a podcast by Opus. Learn more about us at opus.so. See you next time.